All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick today. We're going to be breaking down the NFC North, as you can clearly tell from the jersey in my background, NFC North legend Manny Machado, City Connect Padres edition. Uh, then we're going to talk uh, the Tour de France, uh, break down markets there, and then we'll close out with our best bets for Wimbledon after an eventful day, eventful couple of days, uh, pour one out for Belinda Bencic, uh, which hurts. Uh, and uh, pour one in for Ons Jabeur, uh coming off the 6-3, 6-love, sorry, 6-love, six 6-3, six annihilation of Petra Kvitova. But Drew, how are you? How was your weekend? It was awesome. Tennis has been great. Wimbledon has been so enjoyable after a super slow start. Um, you know, it was worth the wait. Uh, we have an absolutely loaded field still. Uh, tons of really, really high quality matches. Um, the conditions are starting to change a little bit. You can see center court getting a little faster. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that dynamic is going to play into, you know, who can adapt and adapt their game and continue to, uh, you know, find something special here. And I think, um, you know, what we have on the women's side is probably the real drama. It's still wide open. I mean, really, to be this far into the tournament and say that with a straight face is not—it's not not normal. We almost always are uh, kind of looking at things as uh, you know, kind of a you know clear some some clear things start to shape up as you uh, see the draw work itself out, and we are still uh, in a very very competitive field here. Uh, Iga is the rightful favorite because her path is the softest, but I really only see that for the quarter. Uh, she's going to have a tough test in the semifinals against an informed player, whoever comes through. Uh, and then the bottom half of this draw is just awesome. So many very, very, very good women are still alive. And it starts with a rematch of a match that I don't really want to talk about, but we got to. <laughs> and that's last year's Wimbledon final, Jay, because Rabakina Ons Jabor part two is Ons. And... <laughs> I'm not ready. I don't, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to bet it. I'm going to I'm going to struggle through the emotional aspects of coming oh so close last year. Um, but it's amazing what a year, what a difference a year makes because Jabor was the clear favorite heading into last year's final. And now Rabakana opens up this match at uh, minus 160. Um, in a number of places. And uh, that's a lot of confidence for a woman who we haven't really seen tested yet. Uh, and really just, you know, I thought maybe against Beatrice Haddad Maya, we would start, we would see a longer match potentially, one that really kind of tested her fitness, but Haddad Maya was not up to it physically, uh, retires early. So we still don't know if, um, you know, if the endurance is there for Rabakana and whether she can handle a long match. And we don't know what the mental state of Jabor is going to be in a rematch on center court against uh, the uh, the boogeyman from last year. So, um, you know, I'm I'm on or pass here at these prices, and uh, it's going to be a, a soul searching endeavor to determine if I'm going to get really get back on board with Ons uh, and live yeah. through it again. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's sickening. It's sickening to say out loud, but I've already backed Ons at uh, okay. plus one forty. Price is just That's, too big. This this should be big. closer to pick. Should yeah. be closer to pick. I think with what. Ons showed. I mean, here's the thing is that we were talking about how Ons should have been just about the favorite to win the tournament last year. And the only thing that really has changed in a big way, obviously, Rabakina and Sabalenka have emerged since last year uh, in a greater way. And Eager is still there and Eager is unkillable seemingly. But at the same time, Ons is the best. Uh, she is, I think she has the best grass court game when she's on her 
when she's on her game uh, yeah. and the way that she played against Kvitova, the thing that's concerning to me is like after the game, after the match, Ons is saying in the interview, like, I don't know who that was out there today. It's like, no, it was you, Ons. It was you. You need to believe in yourself. You can't be treating it as though someone else has taken over your body to play a good match of tennis. You need to actually believe that it's going to happen uh but anyway let's get let's just get to uh, see, our best. I, I read it i read it to that she was saying i don't know who that was i played because that did not look like pressure committed to me <laughs> i don't know who that was <laughs> yeah well, even went on she started to she got broken back in the second set and normally you'd think oh it's yeah. gonna blow it again like she blew it against Haddad Meyer uh, in Paris. But I, having seen Kvitova, I was like, no, nah, this is fine. Collins like, is going to roll through this. Kvitova is not – she's not there mentally. Uh, anyway, since we've been talking about Wimbledon, let's get yeah. to our best bets now. Uh, like I said, I like Ons. I do actually like Ons at, at plus 140. Against Rabakina, I think that should be closer to pick. A lot of yep. uncertainty about Rabakina. But my other bet uh, is Jess Pagula. Minus two and a half games, minus 110 against Marketa Vondrasova. Vondrasova, who has been fine and has definitely exceeded expectations, but she was in a real dogfight against Marie Buskova, who I don't think is the most threatening opponent. And the fact that she was really on the ropes against Buskova, I don't think that's a great sign. Jess Pagula just doesn't lose games anymore. The past three games, no one's gotten more than five games against her. She didn't come in in great form, but I think that it's a reminder that even in lead-up tournaments, if players, big-name players like Pagula, like Jabur, maybe they're just waiting to flick the switch in a grand slam. I think that we've maybe seen that from Jess Pagula. She's on a rampage at the moment, and uh, I think this is all set up for her to win this match and then lose 7-6, 7-6 to Eager in the semi, uh, and that's the way this is going to go. What do you think of Pagula Vondrasova? Yeah, I, I struggle with Pagula being this big of a favorite, but I get what you're saying. Um, she, and I'm kind of shaded a little bit because I just we haven't seen her tested. Um, yeah. That said, you know, Von, you know Vondrasova is a very, very talented player. This is the first time we were ever seeing her put anything together on grass. Um, and, you know, she's also a little bit inconsistent in terms of her ability to bring top level tennis. So if she no shows not going to be surprised here. Uh, don't entirely, uh, you know, disagree with any kind of plus money attack you can find on this market. Um, be it games, you know, Pagula two zero, or even taking a shot on the underdog here. But um, yeah, Pagula has, she's looked good, but boy, oh boy, I, I would like to see her go up against someone whose game I have a little bit more respect for. Um, the uh, Iga matches. And again, I'm with you on Ants. Uh, 100%. I think uh, the question at this point is just, is it going to hurt a little bit or is it going to hurt a lot? <laughs> and I haven't made that decision yet. Um, but uh, the uh, the match that really stands out for me in the uh, quarterfinals is Iga, minus five and a half games. Um, Svitolina, a very, very happy to be here type of mentality, in my opinion, in this particular match. This is a lopsided matchup on a good day. Um, and I think, you know, Ika coming through uh, the way she did against Benchich with, uh, you know, being able to fight off match points and then find another gear in the third set uh, to a degree. I think that spells trouble for, you know, at least the top half of the women's draw at this point. Um, Svitolina, uh, great, great player, great story. Really happy she's in the second week. One of my favorite players to bet on for, going back to like 2017, 2018 when she was kind of really coming up. Um, but I really can't come anywhere close to fair price being five and a half games here. I think the median expectation for me is Ega wins by six. Modal expectation is Ega wins by six. Long tail to uh, Ega coming home, coming home with the 6-2, 6-0. 
at some point in this match. And so I laid the five and a half games uh, on the uh, Polish world number one, Iga Świątek, And uh, I still think she's got her work cut out for her in the final, whoever she ends up playing. It's going to be tough at this point. Um, I would even give Madison Keys a meaningful shot against Iga if she's ultimately the one who gets there. And I don't think... Madison Keys over Sabalenka, by the way, plus money is a bad bit either. But um, yeah, to me right now, the top half does look chalky. Bottom half looks uh, looks pretty uh, pretty exciting, pretty interesting, and uh, got to have some dog prices. Yeah, a couple of things. Firstly, the fact that Madison Keys uh, is right now a distant sixth favorite for the tournament. She's won 18 of her past 19 sets on grass. Like She's absolutely in insane form. And yet, at the same time, very easily could have lost 6-3, 6-1 to Andreeva. So I'm not really yeah. sure what to make of Keys. I think she's probably more kind of second tier beneath Rabakina, Iga, uh, Sabalenka and Ons, I would say. There's a little bit of separation. But at the same time, this form is insane. And she's claimed some big scale. Like she's beaten Iga and Rabakina in straight sets in the past 12 months. So she could absolutely win this yeah. tournament. And then secondly, Iga Sviantek has to be the strangest best player in a sport uh, in recent memory, <laughs> where in these big games, she gets so tight. She was so yeah. tight against Benchich. Her forehand gets so loose, uh, and she's just all over the place. And yet at the same time, she's an absolute warrior. And on these big points against Benchich, those two match points, she played them absolutely perfectly. Yeah. She seems to go from just ice uh, ice water in the veins to uh, very much hot water in the veins, just back and forth. But yeah. seems to pull it out when she needs to ultimately. Yeah. She has the weirdest thing going where it's almost like if she's not destroying her opponent, she loses confidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like she, she doesn't have, she has, and I think it's probably just a youth and inexperience thing. You know, the more she kind of goes through and gets wins like that, I think she kind of cal- calms down to where if it's 6 6, she's literally can go into a tiebreak with the mentality of Djokovic. Cause right now she's not doing that. She goes into a tiebreak and she's holding on for dear life and she can't, can't believe she hasn't won 6 2 already. And that's just sort of the nature of the success she's had to this point in her career. So wins like she got against Benchich, I think, will go a long way to kind of more, making her a little bit more well rounded player. Um, and, uh, you know, but at the same time, she does not look especially natural on grass yet. No, she doesn't. And Benchich really could have gotten her. The fact that also she leaves the door open, like she really left yeah. the door open for Ons in the US Open final to Mukova uh, in the French Open final. So I think ultimately I think someone is going to get her uh, and it's probably going to have to be in the final given that I think that she's going to get there given the players in her half of the draw. All right, let's pivot to uh, from Igor Sviantek to uh, Dan Campbell. And Jared <laughs> Lions. talk about the NFC North, start off with those Lions who are the favorite to win the NFC North. Can't remember the last time that was the case. They're plus 130 to win the division. Fourth favorites in the NFC, which seems aggressive, but then you realize the fifth and sixth favorites are the Saints and the Seahawks and uh, makes puts into perspective that the NFC is pretty wide open. Uh, they are plus 850 to win the NFC, 20 to 1 to win Super Bowl. Heavy favorites to make the playoffs at minus 175. Do you think uh, that the Lions being treated as the fourth best team in the NFC, the clear class of the NFC North, is justified? I don't. Um, I get it. Uh, so when you think about the Lions and sort of the arc of you know public support for this team, um, it makes sense why the markets was you know quick to shorten on them. Um, they were the fourth best team in the NFC last year by a power rating at the end of the season. They finished the season white hot. 
uh, and you know, with that covered lots of games. They were an, uh, an automatic bet, um, even in the final game of the season, playing for nothing. Eliminating the Packers from playoff contention was quite cool. Um, it's also easy to see why players kind of get, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, or you know, why the the betting public um, tends to uh, gravitate towards them because Dan Campbell's exciting. He says fun stuff in press conferences, and they have a lot of young talent on this team uh, that is easy to identify. Um, at the same time. Uh, I look at a squad and a team and an offense in particular that overperformed a decent amount last year, particularly at the quarterback position. Jared Goff finished as the seventh best QBE and by EPA per play last year. I don't think he's the seventh best quarterback in the NFL. Oh, sir. <laughs> so at that point, he can only really, again, overachieve or he can regress back to where we think he would be somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, and, you know, it's it's there is a very real potential that whatever Ben Johnson is cooking with that offensive scheme is good enough to keep, uh, you know, Goff firmly planted in the top 10. That's you know, we saw with Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan. This is not a new thing. It's not impossible to elevate, you know, kind of a truly average quarterback to top 10 by the way that you're calling your offense. And maybe that's what they do. But uh, I will pay to see it. Um, because I think regression is likely and maybe even, you know, or is possible, maybe even likely. Uh, and I would look specifically at the fact that they are drawing dead as sort of the sacrificial lambs week one against the Kansas City Chiefs in Banner Night. Um, so if you like the Lions, if you have any affinity to bet this team, I would just implore you to be patient. You're going to get a better price before week two than you can get right now on these guys. Right. There's going to be some team in the NFC North that wins their week one matchup looks really good. And the Lions are going to have, you know, the stink of being, you know, uh, you know, used as the sacrificial lamb against the Chiefs on opening night. So I think realistically, it's it's fine to have optimism for them. They have the best, you know, they have they have the best offensive line in their uh, in their division. One of the best offensive lines in football. Um, but the defense has huge, 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 huge questions. And I think golf is due for some regression. So uh, a little cautious optimism for me on the Lions. Is that about where you're at? Yeah, I think so. And one interesting thing for the Lions, who I am largely more cool on, uh, I think, than consensus and the rest of the market, uh, is that as I was looking into them the other day, after October 22, they don't play a single road game that is not either in a dome or against the Chicago Bears. So that's helpful because I think the stuff about Goff outdoors is real and I think that's borne out. So the fact that their road games after their after week seven are Chargers, Saints, Bears, Vikings, Cowboys, that's very helpful for them. I think that when it gets colder, they're going to be indoors. But at the same time, I can't get involved in the Lions uh, plus 130 to win yeah. the division. Their win total is nine and a half. Back slightly over, uh, I'd be looking elsewhere in the division. I think this is a really compelling division for the coach of the year market. Uh, mm. Firstly, the two favorites for the award uh, are both in this division. Dan Campbell is the favorite at plus 900. And then Matt Eberflus uh, is second at 10 to 1. We'll talk about the Bears shortly. Campbell uh, was one of my biggest bets last year at 20 to 1 preseason because I think there's a lot of Mike Brown, Sacramento Kings about Campbell uh, in that the Lions have been so destitute for so long that as soon as they have success, he's going to just get an accelerant of credit. Uh, but now expectations are that they're a plus 130 division champ. And I think that the only way that he's going to win this award is if they win 13 plus games. Uh, and then even then, if they don't get the one seed, he might have competition from elsewhere. So plus 900, I can't get involved uh, at that price uh, or even yeah. close. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to add to the fire. Uh, defense might be bottom five, personnel-wise. Oh. Secondary looks weak. Pass rushes, a lot of question marks. Um, and your point is fair. They may come down the home stretch hot again, um, especially as you get guys off suspension, Jamison Williams, namely. Like, he could be the X factor for that offense. And so, if, yeah, I, I really think if you feel like ultimately the Lions can repeat what they did towards the end of last season, just be patient. I agree with that. Uh, let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings, who might have been the strangest team last year, where they went thirteen and four. They clearly weren't a thirteen and four team, but I kind of feel like they they underachieved in that they were a five hundred team, but should have been better <laughs> than a five hundred team, and yet went thirteen and four. Uh, if any of that makes sense, where I don't really understand why their offense wasn't better. Uh, I know it was it was fine, but when you look at they have a sneakily decent offensive line now, particularly when Christian Darasaur is in there. Uh, they have obviously Justin Jefferson is the offensive player of the year. Uh, and then they added TJ Hawkinson, which really should have set their offense alight, but just never really got there. And then obviously they lose uh, in pretty embarrassing fashion, I think, to the Giants uh, in the playoffs. This year, their win total is eight and a half backed over. They're plus 280 to win the division. They are a dog to make the playoffs at mm-hmm. plus 115, 16 to 1 to win the conference, 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to most, they would be one of the most, I think, just blah, kind of uninspiring teams, which is weird because they have Justin Jefferson. Uh, they're an offensive team, but just seems like the fact that their 13 and 4 record was so fraudulent has had people go the other way, whereas I would probably be more inclined to bet the Vikings at plus 280 to win the division than the Lions at plus 130. But what do you make of this day? Yeah, we. I agree with you 100%. Uh, I was expecting that there was going to be more pessimism from the market on the Vikings, and it was really going to drift that price, and we could potentially kind of wait and let it settle and then scoop some plus EV bets on the Vikings as we get into the close. But there's not quite enough pessimism really surrounding this team. I think everybody is sort of as confused as you know we would sort of lay out the picture at the top, which I think was totally fair. To make things even more confusing, the Vikings were power rated as an average team all year last year. Yep, market market said this team is average. Vikings fans were looking at win loss. Vikings, you know, backers, whatever, you know, futures holders, they were all looking at the win loss and saying, you know, this doesn't square. And in reality, even rating the Vikings as an average team, they were potentially overrated. So it's it's it was people were looking at them as underrated, but they were actually overrated. It's all a, a giant mess. And I will tell you this: Kirk Cousins, average quarterback. He defines an average quarterback. And almost every single metric you can possibly come up with, uh, he is going to, you know, he is going to regress in terms of um, uh, game-winning drives this year. He's going to regress regress in terms of fourth-quarter comebacks this year. The Vikings are going to regress in terms of close games won this year. Like all of those numbers were completely unsustainable last year, but the market knows this and they've set their win total appropriately. So you can't really take any action on that at all. I think where the keys kind of kind of handicapping the Vikings in general, trying to read between the lines a little bit about who they think they are as a franchise and what their ultimate intentions are going forward um, because they are trotting out a very young and inexperienced defense. In fact, uh, they are not, you know, kind of bottom. No, they are. Excuse me. They are bottom five defense in terms of personnel by, um, you know, even with the likes of Daniel Hunter, uh, who is an outstanding pass rusher on this squad. Um, And so, 
they're going to take some lumps. They're going to give up some points. They're going to need to be a comeback mode, fourth quarter mode, win close games mode if they're going to make the playoffs this year. And that's just a fragile situation. So I entirely get the market a little bit cool on them uh, and not really wanting to, uh, but not cool enough that we can scoop some overreaction value on them. Um, great tackle. You mentioned Christian Derrissaw, I think is a top five tackle. Uh, obviously, Justin Jefferson is a top two if not top one wide receiver in the NFL right now, which is an amazing asset to have. Um, and if, you know, if O'Connell continues to develop that offense, they are going to score points, but they are going to give up points. And so, so far, the two teams we've talked about in the NFC North to me look like dead nut overs. Yep. Uh, and also it should be noted that in their first six weeks or seven weeks, they play at the Eagles, Kansas City, San Francisco. Uh, they'll be meaningful dogs in all those games, charges as well, and then some easier matchups against the Bucks, Panthers, and Chiefs. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a strange team. The only bet that I've made around the Vikings is betting on Justin Jefferson at 15-1 to 1 to win Offensive Player of the Year. I don't understand why some places have Jamar Chase favored over Jefferson, uh, get Jefferson favored to win the receiving title, which we talked about last week. Uh, I think that Jefferson should again be favorite to that award, just the sheer amount of usage. Uh, and obviously, he's pretty good as well. So. Uh, <laughs> He should be the favorite there, not Jamar Chase, uh, just because Chase has more guys competing with him. Uh, Let's go to the Green Bay Packers now. The win total is 7.5 there, slightly backed over, plus 165 to make the playoffs, 4-1 to to win the division. I think they are probably the highest variance team in the division just because I have no idea what Jordan Love is. Is Jordan Love going to be benched and out of the NFL after two months or is he going to be uh, the best quarterback in the division potentially like that's on the cards too so don't really know what to make of this team uh, and because of that I think that the ways to ride the variance which we've talked about previously is betting on Matt LaFleur uh, at 18 to 1 now to win coach of the year where I think that if they win the division and get 11 12 wins and he's going to get a ton of credit because I think some voters still reconciling with the way that I think a lot of people wanted to vote for him coach of the year two different years recently but just couldn't separate him from Aaron Rodgers MVP seasons and didn't know how to divide the credit and ultimately divided it somewhere else and so if he is in the mix again and there's no Aaron Rodgers Rodgers, uh, I think that he's going to to really get pushed to the award. So that's the bet I've made around the Packers. But what do you think of this team? Yeah, they are. Uh, ex- I think you described it well. I would talk. I would call. I would kind of frame it as range of outcomes is the widest of any of these NFC North teams. Winning ten games, eleven games is not out of the question. If love hits, and if all of that young, you know, skill position group takes a step forward, this is going to be as good a team as any in a very weak NFC conference. And so I think uh, the, the identifying an upside is there is fair. Uh, identifying a downside is also very fair. It is a lot easier to take action in high, you know, in the, in sort of the, uh, the bigger prices on, to, you know, to the good. And so the, in, you know, the immediate thing I ask myself when you have a situation like this, like, oh, High variance team, ceiling is high, potentially. Uh, what does their schedule look like? Does their sequencing of their schedule lend them to a decent start to the season? And as I look at this schedule, I think that it does. I think that it is a realistic expectation that they could be the last 
you know, the last team standing in terms of um, uh, undefeated in their division. Uh, I think you could get to the halfway point and they could have a one, potentially a two game lead over particularly the Lions who we mentioned could have a difficult start to the season. Uh, and so for those reasons, it was a very straightforward idea to take Packers at five to one to win the division. Now that's shortened to four to one, which you're seeing on the screen now. And I think uh, you're getting closer to fair, but still have a decent amount of upside there with that team. Um, but your other you know, conceit there of LaFleur generally scooping up all of the credit if the Vikings somehow get you know a top three seed in, in a weak NFC, I 100% agree with. He is very live for Coach of the Year. I think he should be in the co-favorite discussion. If you can find 18-1, to 20-1 out there, put that in your pocket. I have some of that myself. I think it's a very fair play. Um, not my favorite Coach of the Year bet but it's in my top two. Uh, but uh, I do have a, a decent amount of Packers to win the NFC uh, in the 5-1 to one plus 480 range. No, plus four, yeah, plus 480 was the last bet I made on that. Um, and uh, I think realistically they can get out to a hot start, which will uh, help shorten all those prices. Yep, and the other really good thing with LaFleur Coach of the Year is that the Packers have five different night games and they also play on Thanksgiving uh, during the day in addition to that. So it's effectively six primetime games. So unlike someone, say, Arthur Smith, who I don't think plays any night games, uh, I think he would go a little bit more under the radar than LaFleur on the Packers if they are doing well, then I think he's definitely going to get the credit. No other real awards bets I wouldn't be betting Jordan Love MVP at 50 to 1 or anything. Rashawn mm-hmm. Gary, if he's healthy and back and 100% for week one, then he is maybe a long shot sleeper for Defensive Player of the Year, but rather wait and see what he looks like before betting that. I'm Let's go pre- to the By the way, real quick, I'm pretty prepared to turn heel on these guys. Yeah. If they're if they're winning games early, but we're not seeing like sustainable, like they're gonna get into like the 10 win range, I'm very prepared to just dump all my Packers stock on a dime. So this is one of the teams, because again, the high variance side of it, like they could stink out of the gate and this could all be dead money right away, or they could do well out of the gate, but we could scoop some equity and we may have to make a tough decision middle of October. Yeah, could definitely see a situation where the Packers start off six and one and LaFleur's plus two seventy five for coach of the year and <laughs> yeah. figure out how to fade him uh, because the <laughs> turn is coming. Uh, that's yeah. definitely in play. Uh, let's talk about the Chicago Bears. Uh, the win total is seven and a half, slightly backed over, same as the Packers. Four to one to win the division as well, twenty eight to one to win the conference for the true believers, plus one seventy to make the playoffs. Obviously they made a lot of upgrades uh, on their defense in particular, uh, but they've still got a fair way to go. Still don't know what they're going to do at corner or uh, at pass rush or defensive line in general, really. Um, the offense should be exciting, though, with Fields, another very high-variance player where he has MVP potential upside. I wouldn't be betting him at the current prices, but he is uh, kind of a yeah, breaks the rules of the game. Could be a, a 2019 Lamar Jackson-type season. That's in the realms of outcomes. I don't, don't think it's likely, but the offense should be pretty exciting. Uh, the defense, though, should weigh them down, but uh, when you're looking at teams like this, you want to have a more reliable offense uh, and hope to fluke the 17th-ranked defense, which could be done. But uh, have you bet anything on the Bears? Uh, it's pretty funny when you invest all of your off-season resources on the defense and bring in all these players, and you have a bottom-five defense still in terms of player personnel rating. 
Um, it's not uh, going to be easy for the Bears to get wins uh, if they are not scoring into the high 20s, low 30s, in my opinion. Um, did they do enough to address the issues with the offense to allow Justin Fields to continue to develop and emerge and score into the high 20s, low 30s? Maybe. Um, I see them as still relatively weak on the offensive line. I think the interior offensive line especially is, is you know, they're not – bottom five, but they're definitely bottom half of the NFL. And, and uh, if you are getting into situations where Justin Fields is scrambling, um, you know, aggressively and, you know, not able to mature as a passer to complement what is an absolutely amazing running attack, then I think that you're talking about a team that's probably going to be underachieving uh, and you're going to have a really, really, really tough question at the end of the season about what you do continuing to build around fields or, uh, you know, or move on. And I think the promise is absolutely there. He is talented enough to where if the offensive line comes together and if he gels with his skill position players, this Bears offense could be top five and he could be a candidate for offensive player of the year. That's absolutely in the cards. He was one of the most dynamic runners with the ball in his hands last year, and he has the ball in his hands on every freaking snap. That is one of the beauties of having like that kind of an athlete at the quarterback position in today's NFL. And so, I, you know, I see high upside potential for the offense, I see virtually no upside potential for the defense, uh, which means, again, like they're going to be in, in a lot of you know 30 to 30 type of games. And at that point, uh, you just want to have the ball in your hands last and you hope that Fields takes a step forward and, and wins you those games. They could be last year's Minnesota Vikings and win 13 and four. And we're all kind of banging our heads against the wall like this is an average, maybe below average team that could be this year's Bears. Um, but, you know, I need to see more from the coaching. I need to see more specifically from Justin Fields to get there. And so for now, at least this is an easy pass for me. Yeah, agreed. And Fields, I mean, as much as they say his MVP upside, also just need to see like sustained above quarterback, above average quarterback play reality yeah. from him first. Uh, this is the type of thing where I think a few years ago, Justin Fields might have been 60 to 1, 70 to 1 to win MVP, and I would have liked that. 18 to 1, can't get close to that. Matt Eberflus is the second favorite for coach of the year at 10 to 1. Again, no interest at that price. I do think that he is someone who can definitely win just because. Chicago, big market, a team that yeah, had the worst record in the league last year, and they have realistic upside to win the division just because it's not a very good division. And Eberflus, I think, would get a ton of credit for that, but 10 to 1 have to fade him. At that price, there are better options in that market, uh, like my man Lafleur and your man, Mike Tomlin. All right, before we talk about the Tour de France, uh, a reminder that Sunday mornings means MLB leadoff. The Giants... The NL West competing Giants, like the Giants, plus 850 to win that division. They face the Pirates, the competent Pirates this year, once more in Pittsburgh. Both teams hope to move up in their divisions, but only one can rise up on Sunday morning. Watch MLB Sunday leadoff live at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. All right. Tour de France. This is your segment, Drew. Talk to me about the general classification, the yellow jersey. Your man Tade Pogachar is minus one twenty-five. Uh, Vingegaard, possibly Vingegu, is the second favorite, <laughs> plus one ten. Uh, seems to be a two-horse race. Anyone you like there? I've settled on Vingegu as the uh, pronunciation. Like it's like the G E A U, like Go Tigers LSU. Yeah. Um, Vingegu. Um, he's a bet for me at plus one ten. Uh, this is a really, 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 really close Tour de France. And I can tell you, having watched this race every year for the last 20 years, that it is rare that we are talking week two and there is this much uncertainty about who the best rider on tour is. Vingigo is definitely a hair 
below Pogachar in terms of his like writing talent. Okay, there's a gap, and Pogachar is the better writer. But Vingago's team is substantially stronger still, and I think uh, what you saw in week one particular stages five and six were just it was incredible strategic moves by team Yumba Visma on five to put a minute of time on Pogachar. He responded with, you know, where, where, as the tactical um, decisions from Jumbo Visma just completely failed on in stage six. Pogachar uh, uses less energy, gets to the, uh, you know, the intermediate stage of the final climb. At this, with you know, with expending substantially less energy than uh, Vingigo did, uh, and uh, you know, takes back thirty seconds, and that's kind of made people think that he's the stronger of the two riders in current form. I still think that the margin is narrow, and uh, I think ultimately the uh, the team uh, pulling for Vingigo is Vingigo is better, and will uh, will ultimately succeed. We have a lot of mountain stages left. Uh, I think anything you can find Vingigo plus money is is a, is a go. It's a go, Jay. That's okay. um, yeah, a go by definition. <laughs> the, uh, the points classification is wrapped up. Uh, not worth looking at that market at all. Almost impossible uh, for Philipson to choke away that lead at this point in the tour. Uh, the King of the Mountains is interesting because the young American, uh, Paulus, uh, leading right now with a substantial margin. You will note he is not listed right now at BetMGM. So you can get him at plus 250 with the any other not listed. And the strategy that is going to be at play between Pogachar and Vindigu as we come down the line here is going to prevent them from really making any kind of move in the King of the Mountains markets, in my mind. Uh, so I think keying on Palace to get across the line there uh, and win the polka dot jersey is the play. So I like that one at plus 250. Uh, and another kind of plus 200, plus 250 price. Uh, and this is a much smaller stake for me, but uh, I like Wild Van Art to win um, uh, stage 10. Uh, with medium mountain stage, this looks like a tailor-made stage for him to get out into the breakaway and to pull away and get his first stage win of this year's tour. So, uh, Wout Van Aert uh, in the plus 275 range for me for uh, for the stage 10 victory. Okay, there you go. I'm glad you got in a mention to my favorite rider who is uh, any <laughs> other not listed <laughs> to, uh, to get the polka dot jersey. Always love when any other not listed can come home with that. All right. We are done. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Good luck tomorrow to Ons Jabur. Good luck to our poor little hearts. Hopefully she can remedy the ills of 2022 and uh, beat Elena Rabakina. We'll break that all down on our next show. In the meantime, don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. From Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick. We'll see you soon. <laughs>